This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Barnes, London, May 2006. The Consolation of Philosophy by Anicius Manlius Severinus Bertius. Translated by H. R. James. Book One The Sorrows of Bertius. Song Four Nothing Can Subdue Virtue. And Section Four Who so calm, serene, sedate, sets his foot on haughty fate? Firm and steadfast, come what will, keeps his mien unconquered still. Him the rage of furious seas, tossing high wild menaces, Nor the flames from smoky forges that Vesuvius disgorges, Nor the bolt that from the sky smites the tower can terrify. Why then shouldst thou feel affright at the tyrant's weakling might? Dread him not, nor fear no harm, and thou shalt his rage disarm. But who to hope or fear gives way, lost his bosom's rightful sway, he hath cast away his shield, like a coward fled the field, he hath forged all unaware, fetters his own neck must bear. Dost thou understand? she asks. Do my words sink into thy mind, or art thou dull as the ass to the sound of the lyre? Why dost thou weep? Why do tears stream from thy eyes? Speak out, hide it not in thy heart. If thou lookest for the physician's help, thou must needs disclose thy wound. Then I, gathering together what strength I could, began. Is there still need of telling? Is not the cruelty of fortune against me plain enough? Doth not the very aspect of this place move thee? Is this the library, the room which thou hadst chosen as thy constant resort in my home, the place where we so often sat together, and held discourse of all things in heaven and earth? Was my garb and mien like this, when I explored with thee nature's hid secrets, and thou didst trace for me with thy wand the courses of the stars, moulding the while my character and the whole conduct of my life after the pattern of the celestial order? Is this the recompense of my obedience? Yet thou hast enjoined by Plato's mouth the maxim that states would be happy either if philosophers ruled them or if it should so befall that their rulers would turn philosophers. By his mouth likewise thou didst point out this imperative reason why philosophers should enter public life, to wit, lest, if the reins of government be left to unprincipled and profligate citizens, trouble and destruction should come upon the good, Following these precepts I have tried to apply in the business of public administration the principles which I learnt from thee in leisured seclusion. 
Thou art my witness, and that divinity who hath implanted thee in the hearts of the wise, that I brought to my duties no aim but zeal for the public good. For this cause I have become involved in bitter and irreconcilable feuds, and, as happens inevitably if a man holds fast to the independence of conscience, I have had to think nothing of giving offence to the powerful in the cause of justice. How often have I encountered and balked Conigastus in his assaults on the fortunes of the weak! How often have I thwarted Triguilla, steward of the king's household, even when his villainous schemes were as good as accomplished! How often have I risked my position and influence to protect poor wretches from the false charges innumerable with which they were forever being harassed by the greed and license of the barbarians? No one has ever drawn me aside from justice to oppression. When ruin was overtaking the fortunes of the provincials through the combined pressure of private rapine and public taxation, I grieve no less than the sufferers. When at a season of grievous scarcity, a forced sale, disastrous as it was unjustifiable, was proclaimed, and threatened to overwhelm Campania with starvation, I embarked on a struggle with the Praetorian prefect in the public interest. I fought the case at the king's judgment seat, and succeeded in preventing the enforcement of the sale. I rescued the consular Paulinus from the gaping jaws of the court bloodhounds, who in their covetous hopes had already made short work of his wealth. To save Albinus, who was of the same exalted rank, from the penalties of a prejudged charge, I exposed myself to the hatred of Cyprian, the informer. Thinkest thou, I had laid up for myself some store of enmities enough? Well, with the rest of my countrymen, at any rate, my safety should have been assured, since my love of justice had left me no hope of security at court. Yet who was it brought the charges by which I have been struck down? Why, one of my accusers is Basil, who, after being dismissed from the king's household, was driven by his debts to lodge an information against my name. There is Opilio, there is Gordentius, men who for many and various offences the king's sentence had condemned to banishment, and when they declined to obey, and sought to save themselves by taking sanctuary, the king, as soon as he heard of it, decreed that, if they did not depart from the city of Ravenna within a prescribed time, they should be branded on the forehead and expelled. What would exceed the vigour of this severity? And yet, on that same day, these very men lodged an information against me, and the information was admitted. Just heaven! Had I deserved this by my way of life? Did it make them fit accusers that my condemnation was a foregone conclusion? Has fortune no shame? If not at the accusation of the innocent, at least for the vileness of the accusers. Perhaps thou wonderest what is the sum of the charges laid against me. I wished, they say, to save the Senate. But how? I am accused of hindering an informer, 
from producing evidence to prove the Senate guilty of treason. Tell me, then, what is thy counsel, O my mistress? Shall I deny the charge, lest I bring shame on thee? But I did wish it, and I shall never cease to wish it. Shall I admit it? Then the work of thwarting the informer will come to an end. Shall I call the wish for the preservation of that illustrious house a crime? Of a truth the Senate, by its decrees concerning me, has made it such. But blind folly, though it deceive itself with false names, cannot alter the true merits of things, and, mindful of the precept of Socrates, I do not think it right either to keep the truth concealed or allow falsehood to pass. But this, however it may be, I leave to thy judgment and to the verdict of the discerning. Moreover, lest the course of events and the true facts should be hidden from posterity, I have myself committed to writing an account of the transaction. What need to speak of the forged letters by which an attempt is made to prove that I hoped for the freedom of Rome? Their falsity would have been manifest if I had been allowed to use the confession of the informers themselves, evidence which has in all matters the most convincing force. Why, what hope of freedom is left to us? Would there were any? I should have answered with the epigram of Canius when Caligula declared him to have been cognizant of the conspiracy against him. If I had known, said he, thou shouldst never have known. Grief hath not so blunted my perceptions in this matter that I should complain because impious wretches contrive their villainies against the virtuous, but at their achievement of their hopes I do exceedingly marvel. For evil purposes are, perchance, due to the imperfections of human nature. That it should be possible for scoundrels to carry out their worst schemes against the innocent, while God beholdeth, is verily monstrous. For this cause, not without reason, one of thy disciples asked, If God exists, whence comes evil? Yet whence comes good, if he exists not? However, it might well be that wretches who seek the blood of all honest men, and of the whole senate, should wish to destroy me also, whom they saw to be a bulwark of the senate and all honest men. But did I deserve such a fate from the fathers also? Thou rememberest, methinks, since thou didst ever stand by my side to direct what I should do or say, thou rememberest, I say, how at Verona, when the king, eager for the general destruction, was bent on implicating the whole senatorial order in the charge of treason brought against Albinus, with what indifference to my own peril I maintained the innocence of its members one and all. Thou knowest that what I say is the truth, and that I have never boasted of my good deeds in a spirit of self-praise. For whenever a man by proclaiming his good deeds receives the recompense of fame, he diminishes in a measure the secret reward of a good conscience. What issues have overtaken my innocency thou seest? 
instead of reaping the rewards of true virtue, I undergo the penalties of a guilt falsely laid to my charge. Nay, more than this, never did an open confession of guilt cause such unanimous severity among the assessors, but that some consideration, either of the mere frailty of human nature, or of fortune's universal instability, availed to soften the verdict of some few. Had I been accused of a design to fire the temples, to slaughter the priests with impious sword, of plotting the massacre of all honest men, I should yet have been produced in court, and only punished on due confession or conviction. Now, for my too great zeal towards the Senate, I have been condemned to outlawry and death, unheard and undefended, at a distance of near five hundred miles away. O oh, my judges, well do ye deserve that no one should hereafter be convicted of a fault like mine. Footnote. The distance from Rome to Pavia, the place of Bertius's imprisonment, is 455 Roman miles. Yet even my very accusers saw how honourable was the charge they brought against me, and in order to overlay it with some shadow of guilt, they falsely asserted that in the pursuit of my ambition I had stained my conscience with sacrilegious acts. And yet thy spirit indwelling in me has driven from the chamber of my soul all lust of earthly success, and with thine eye ever upon me there could be no place left for sacrilege. For thou didst daily repeat in my ear and instill into my mind the Pythagorean maxim, Follow after God. It was not likely, then, that I should covet the assistance of the vilest spirits when thou wert moulding me to such an excellence as should conform me to the likeness of God. Again, the innocency of the inner sanctuary of my home, the company of friends of the highest probity, a father-in-law, revered at once for his pure character and his active beneficence, shield me from the very suspicion of sacrilege. Yet, atrocious as it is, they even draw credence from this charge from thee. I am like to be thought implicated in wickedness on this very account, that I am imbued with thy teachings and stabilized in thy ways. So it is not enough that my devotion to thee should profit me nothing, but thou also must be assailed by reason of the odium which I have incurred. Verily this is the very crown of my misfortunes, that men's opinions for the most part look not to real merit, but to the event, and only recognize foresight where fortune has crowned the issue with her approval, whereby it comes to pass that reputation is the first of all things to abandon the unfortunate. I remember with chagrin how perverse is popular report, how various and discordant men's judgments. This only will I say, that the most crushing of misfortune's burdens is, that as soon as a charge is fastened upon the unhappy, they are believed to have deserved their sufferings. I, for my part, who have been banished from all life's blessings, stripped of my honours, stained in repute, and punished for well-doing. And now methinks I see the villainous dens of the wicked surging with joy and gladness, 
all the most recklessly unscrupulous, threatening a new crop of lying informations, the good, prostrate with terror at my danger, every ruffian incited by impunity to new daring and to success by the profits of audacity, the guiltless not only robbed of their peace of mind, but even of all means of defence. Wherefore I would fain cry out, End of Song 4, Nothing Can Subdue Virtue, and Section 4.